Our New Testament reading is from Ephesians chapter 4. We'll read more than uh, this one verse, but really the, the one verse that we're focusing on, the primary verse for us today, is verse 28. So Ephesians 4, 28, and it says this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Just this past week, I was uh, in a conversation with a friend, and this passage came up, because he's going to be preaching uh, this section in Ephesians. And he had been listening to some pastor where they had just brought up why would, why would Paul write this, right? Why, why would he have to say this to the church? And so he asked me that question. And I said, because there were thieves in the church, right? Because there were people that uh, struggled with stealing, um, it, I'm, you know, uh, pretty clearly. But sometimes it might seem, you know, some of the, the sins that are mentioned, if you read the rest of uh, Ephesians 4 and 5, you might read things and think, oh, well, that's, that's not something that, you know, I struggle with, but this is something that generally people do. Just as Scripture speaks to us uh, as we are tempted toward violence or anger, as we are tempted toward sexual immorality or lying and deception, so too it speaks of those who are tempted to steal. This comes in a section in Ephesians that is speaking about new life in Christ. What does it look like to live life in Christ? If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, you know that the first three chapters are full of indicative statements, right? That you are this way, that you have received every blessing in the heavenly realm, that, that you are this kind of person now in Christ. And the second half of the book is almost all imperative statements. Therefore, do this, right? Don't steal. It, we have it right here. Right? Let the thief no longer steal. All right? So there's, there's these imperatives that are given. And this whole section is filled with this idea of what it looks like to live life in Christ. Verse 17. How does it start? Verse 17, if I can turn to it, I'm getting stuck. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So you must no longer walk in this way, right? Walking is often used as a description of what life is, right? We are all on a path. We're all walking somewhere in some way. And it says, no, you can't walk in this manner anymore that you have walked. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You are called as God's people to put on a new self. The old self clings on. The old self is still there. This is why you are still tempted. Why Paul can say, Thieves, don't steal anymore, right? There's still that part of you that's like that, but you are called to newness of life in Christ, to righteousness and holiness. 
If you have trusted in him, then you are a new creation. And your life is going to be different. That includes thieves. Thievery, stealing. It comes in many different forms. We'll talk more about some of those later. But recognize that any taking advantage of the wealth of others. Any idleness. Any squandering of what wealth you've been given. Any taking from others what is not yours. All of these are different ways that you can steal. Think in the book of Malachi. Uh, It wasn't so long ago that we worked through the book of Malachi. And God says that the people are stealing from him in not giving their full tithe. So let the thief no longer steal, but rather, Paul isn't only negative, right? He doesn't just say, don't do this. Right? It's not just put off the old self, but put on the new. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Right? Don't steal. Rather, what does repentance look like in this case? What does repentance look like for those who steal? It looks like laboring, working hard, and doing so for the sake of others in order that you might give. Now, this is going to be true for for all believers, right? This is something that each of us is called to, to work hard for the good of our families, for the good of the church, for the good of others. That's something that all of us, each of us, is called to. But also repentance for somebody who is particularly uh, greedy of heart, who wants to take from others, who steals. Repentance may look like, like, going much further as far as seeking to give, as far as seeking to work for the sake of others, right? It's not uh, labor so that you can have everything that you ever wanted, so that you can be secure in your wealth, so that you can indulge in the different desires that you have, but so that you can give to others. You can have something to be able to give to others. As someone who's greedy and hard and who's tempted to take, God's call on your life is to give, to give of yourself in your work, to give your money, to give for the good of others. Remember that this is what God has done for us, giving abundantly more than we ask or need. And so let us be like our Father in this way. Let us be like Him. Well, the sermon text, once again, is from Exodus 20, verse 15, but I will start from uh, verse 1, and we'll read through the Ten Commandments up to the Eighth Commandment that we're on today. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. Our God is indeed abundantly generous. We emphasized this aspect of his character a couple weeks ago as part of why he gives this command, where where this flows out of, what this command flows out of. But God's saving work in your life, in calling you out of bondage, as we read, out of slavery, slavery to sin in a spiritual Egypt, and making you his people, right, that he might be your God. This he does uh, not just as an end in itself, right? He didn't take the people out of Egypt and then say, it's over. No, he brought them out of Egypt so that he might make them his people. He brought you out of slavery to sin that he might make you his people, living his way according to his word. He brought you out to be a new creation, that he might wash you in his word, that you might live. And truly, that's what the Ten Commandments are about, what true life looks like. This is what life in Christ looks like. All areas of your life are to to be submitted to Jesus Christ. And that includes your money, wealth creation, possessions, the things that you have. And so, the Lord says, you shall not steal. Now, if we were to try to be exhaustive of all the different ways that this text can uh, influence our lives, we would be here for uh, probably multiple years, if we're honest. Uh, But we're going to do a broad overview. What is it that this command is calling you to? Right? What kind of life does this call you to? We're going to look at it through four different contrasts. And the first is this, that you are called to labor, not laziness. You were made to work. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Why? Because the Lord himself worked six days. He set a pattern for us. Most of your life is made to be taken up in work. And it could be a temptation to think that uh, work is something that has come about because of the curse, because of sin in the world. And if only we were in paradise where everything was provided for us, right? Where we had the perfect utopia, where we could sleep in as we wanted, stay up late as we wanted, spend our time doing as we want, right? We wouldn't have to 
provide for ourselves. We wouldn't have to work. But work was always a part of God's design, even before the fall. Adam was put in the garden to do what? To work it. Right? He was, he was made to work. You were made to work. Now, of course, there is a kind of toil that work now has, a kind of pain that comes along with our work that does, in fact, come about because of the fall, because of the curse. There is, there is uh, added difficulty to work because of sin. But work itself is something that you're made for. You were meant to work, to give yourself to productive endeavors and virtuous value creation. If that's what you've been made for, then you can't be idle, right? One of the reasons that there is a temptation to steal is because of idleness. And you'll find throughout Scripture, even in what we uh, read earlier, that often idleness is tied to the Eighth Commandment. You must not be lazy. You must not be slothful. You know, there are many mornings that I'm laying in bed and uh, I, I don't want to get up. Right? I, don't, I just want to lay there. Uh, I, I want to stay warm. I want to sleep a little bit longer. And this proverb comes into my head. Sometimes I say it out loud. I don't know how my wife feels about this. But sometimes I'll say this proverb out loud. This is Proverbs 6, 10 to 11. It's a good one to memorize. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber. And want like an armed man. Right? This, is, this is the nature of life. And we sometimes think that it's, there's something wrong if we're tired. Like we think there's something unfair or not right if we're tired. But that's not true. It's not actually wrong to be tired. It is wrong to be idle. It is wrong to be lazy. Because of our sin and the nature of the fallen world we live in, there's going to be a lot of times that you work and you don't find the kind of fulfillment in your work that you, you feel like you should. And you are called to, to find a kind of fulfillment, not maybe total, but as you are doing all of your work for the Lord, as you're made to do this, there, there should be a kind of fulfillment that you find. And that won't always be the case. You won't always feel that way about your work. But that doesn't mean that you're not made to work the Eighth Commandment would call you to this, would call you to work hard, to throw yourself into the calling that God has given to you. And not just the calling that, that you desire, which maybe God will provide for you someday, but the calling He's given you right now. Right? What, what has He given you to do and to work right now? Right? Maybe you think that your work doesn't matter. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Maybe you don't love what you do. It's not what you're passionate about. But still, hear the word of the Lord. This is what Paul says. And in whatever you do, whatever it is, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All of your work, whatever it is, in one way or another, is for the Lord. 
right? He is truly your boss. He is the one that you are accountable to, right? So you, you seek to glorify him in what you do. You work hard. Why? For him. Because he has placed you where you are. Right? How often do we spend our days uh, just trying to pass the time as fast as we can, trying to get by doing as little as we can? It can't be that way for you. Right? Because you work for the Lord. Your work is for him, for the good of others in his name. So you must give yourself to that calling, to that work. Do not be idle. Rather, work hard. Labor, not laziness. Secondly, recognize that you are called to stewardship, not squandering. Stewardship, not squandering. You are a steward. Do you know what that means? Do you know this? We're kids. Do you know what a steward is? My son shook his head. Uh -uh. A, A steward is somebody that manages something on behalf of another. Right? Even if you are self-employed, everything that you have has been given to you by God. You've been given it by Him in order to manage it. For Him, for His kingdom, for the good of others. Right? And that doesn't mean it's not yours in, in some way. No, you are a co-heir with Christ. You, you benefit in every way when God is honored. But you are to use everything that you have wisely according to his priorities and his purposes. Right? What are his priorities with what you have? What are his purposes? Often we think that it's more about us, right? our priorities, our purposes. But what we want to do is actually align those two things. What are God's priorities? What are his purposes? That's what I want. That's what I desire. You will give an account for how you use your wealth, how you gain your wealth. Maybe you don't think that you have much, uh, but it, it doesn't matter. You will still give an account. Think of the parable of the tenants, right? The tenants that are left with money to be managed from their master. They're not all given the same amount, and yet they're all still required to work with it. And each of you has been given different natural abilities, levels of intelligence, gifts, influence, status, and wealth. The question before you is how you're going to use it. Will you steward it wisely on behalf of God and his purposes, or will you squander it? This commandment calls you then to a kind of frugality, not to be wastefully extravagant, not spending what you do not own for things you do not need. We live in a time when it's, you know, it, it's, it's impressed upon you everywhere that you can live far beyond your means. This, it's not a, a Christian way to live. That is not wisely using what God has given you. It calls you to be generous just like your God, giving as he called you to, not to be miserly or greedy. Right? It, it, it's a call to you to wisely steward, invest, and to build your wealth and the wealth of others. It calls you to be sound of mind and disciplined, sacrificing your life for the sake of Christ. 
And that might seem like that's not related to stealing. That's not related to wealth. But when we're talking about wealth and possessions, money, what, what is this? Right? What are these things? What is money? What is wealth? It's really a representation of your time, of your energy, of your work that you've put into something. Indeed, that, that is your life, right? It is, a, it is an extension of your life as you've given your time and energy to some pursuit. Possessions, too. These are extensions of something about who you are. So to squander these things, to squander your money, to squander your, your wealth that you've been given, it's, what is that, what is that saying? You are squandering your life. These things go hand in hand. You've been given everything that you have to manage it for Christ. And so don't steal from him. Right? If it's his, ultimately, if it belongs ultimately to him, to use it apart from his priorities and purposes is to steal it from him. When you're wasteful with your time, when you're spending your money on that which is sinful or useless, right? you're stealing from God that which is properly his. When you see your wealth as a means simply to personal indulgence, that, that is stealing. None of this is to say that you're not to experience wealth as a blessing from God, because it is. Right? God often, throughout Scripture, will bless his people with wealth. That is indeed a blessing. When God gives you a house and a home, when he gives you an inheritance to pass on to your children and grandchildren, when he gives you land in which to raise a family, when he gives you the ability to build up a business and he blesses that, that that it grows, when he blesses you to be able to create things of value as a service to others. These are all good things. These are all blessings from God. But none of them are ends in themselves. None of them are, are for themselves. Right? You cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both. So even all of this, it is either in service to God or it's not. You will be giving an account to God for everything that you do with your wealth. Right? Which is to say how you use your life what your priorities are in life. As those who have been made to walk in newness of life, that should be true of your wealth as well. It should be true of of everything that you have. This leads then, thirdly, to the fact that you are called to maximize good, not simply maximize profit. The primary focus of your life cannot simply be money. Right? It cannot simply be watching that number go up in your account, increasing your worldly wealth. It can't, that can't be it. That can't be the focus. You're called to a life of virtue, which you can live whether you have a lot or a little. Right? You are called to something far greater than simply number go up. Of course, consistently following God, generally speaking, does lead to increased wealth over time and over 
generations. Why? Well, because just the, the, the principles of life, the, the way of life that, that God has shown us. What, what has he called you to? Well, we already saw, right? Don't steal, rather labor, work hard, that you have enough that you can even give to others. That's going to build wealth over time, just naturally. Honest business dealing, right? Becoming free of debt, being free if you're able to gain your freedom, creating real value and seeking to bless others in, in what you do. Right? All, all of these are things that on a general level will lead to increased wealth over time, over generations. Right? It's not wrong to seek to grow wealth. It's not wrong to seek profit in a business. That's a good thing. That's what you're supposed to be doing. You're called actually to seek both your wealth and the wealth of others. The, the better outward estate both of your own life as well as the lives of others. I'm not just you know, saying that out of nowhere either. This is how our larger and shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession breaks down what it means not to steal. It, it means on the positive side, right, where Paul has the negative as he's working out the Eighth Commandment. You know, no longer steal, rather labor. Well, yeah, don't steal, right, don't take, but on the positive side, you have been made in part to seek the, the betterment of others, the increased wealth of others and yourself. But the point is that these cannot be the ends in themselves, right? This cannot be, be the purpose. It's simply the increased wealth. That can't be where it stops. It's in the service of Christ. It's in the service of the good, of what is good and right. That has to be the focus. And that means that you're not simply trying to maximize your profit at the expense of what is good. We know that this happens, right? You know that this happens. You may have been tempted to this at times, right? You cheat in some way. You're deceptive in some way. You lie in some way because it may mean that you earn more money. You don't get to lie or be deceptive simply for a little extra money, right? There are plenty of businesses or companies that we could point to that you've probably seen cut corners in different ways, that use some kind of, of wicked business practices, some kind of corrupt practice, that treat uh, people in some way like they are cogs in a machine simply so that they can make more money. It can't be that way. Right? It, this is, uh, you know, if you try to sell something of no value, right? You have a, you have a vehicle you know it doesn't run. You know there's some kind of flaw in it that the moment that somebody buys it, it's going to break down. And you're selling it to them, okay, but you don't tell them anything about them. This is what we're talking about. Maybe brought down to a, to a small level, right? Being deceptive in some way because your, your end goal, the highest goal in that moment for you is I just want a few extra hundred dollars for this vehicle. No, you can't just seek to maximize profit at the expense of what is good. You're called to maximize what is good, to be a blessing as you have been blessed. Your highest end cannot be mammon. It is Christ and Christ-likeness. Profit, then, is always for us a means to an end. 
And the end is the glory of God. The end is enjoying him. There are great benefits that God gives in wealth as we understand it all as coming from him, as a blessing from him. And then, uh, as we heard from Paul already, then we give thanks to God for all of it, all that he provides. Right? Having, having wealth from him, it gives you a freedom that you otherwise wouldn't have. It can relieve some worldly stresses. Proverbs 10, 15 says this, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Right? There's a great blessing of having wealth. There's a kind of worldly security that it can give you. And that's good. That's a right thing. It allows you to be a blessing to others in ways that you couldn't if you didn't have greater wealth. Imagine you, know, you have built up a, a business where not only are you providing for your family, you now get to provide for many families. That's a good thing. That's a blessing. As long as it's focused on the glory of God and the good of others. The moment that it turns to, I can cut corners and I can do whatever I want to my labor force in order to get the absolute maximum profit. Right? I can invest in any kind of company, no matter how despicable or evil, because I get the most profit. It can't be that way. All of it must be in service to God and what is good. Or it will be a curse, right? It won't be a blessing. To take the blessings of God and use them improperly turns them into a curse. In principle, you must be willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Or even these good things, even the blessings of God, truly they will become an idol. They will become a millstone around your neck, dragging you down into the depths of the sea. So you seek to maximize the glory of God. You seek to maximize good, what is good for you and others, not simply maximizing profit at the expense of others. And so, fourthly, to expand on that, we would say that you are to seek, you are called to seek then, others' good, not just your own. Think about what Paul said in Ephesians 4. Right? You are to labor. Why? Don't steal. You are to labor so that you can give to others, so that you can have something to benefit others around you. What you are given is not just given for you. You have not been blessed simply to be blessed. You have been blessed so that you might be a blessing. You have been comforted so that you might comfort. God has been gracious to you so that you might now be gracious to others. You have been made to seek the good of others. That doesn't mean an expense of of your good necessarily. It may at times. Think of Christ. Think of what he went through for our good. But very often, it simply means seeking the good for all involved, for everyone. This rules out for you any business practice that would prioritize profit over people. Right? Living in such a way that you think primarily about profit, primarily about your own good, in such a way that it harms others. 
there are a lot of ways that we, we see this at work. Uh, pretty recently, Emily and I watched the 1940s movie, The Grapes of Wrath, uh, the movie version. I know there's a book. I have read the book first. If you know the story of the Grapes of Wrath, it follows some Okies um, in the time of the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl as they were forced off their land and they have to, with hundreds and thousands of others, have to basically uh, migrate over to California. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's horrible. It really is just a very um, sad and depressing story. And in the movie version, uh, early on you meet this character named Muley who explains what happened to him when he was run off of his farm. And he explains that what's happened to everybody in this region is that uh, over time, there's all these poor tenant farmers uh, that, you know, pay what they owe to the bank when they can, uh, and they just farm and they provide for their family, and over generations they kind of build this, this love and attachment to the land. But then it became obvious to the banks and to larger corporations that, you know, if we just got rid of all these families, we could farm this land in a way with newer technology that we could make a lot more money. And so they ran everybody off the land. Now, I'm not here making any statement about the historical facts of any of this. I'm just, this is just the movie's version of what's happened, right? Because a little more profit could be made all of these people are run off their land. And you think about all the good that's removed. Muley says to this man that shows up in a tractor about to bulldoze his house. Uh, Muley has a gun. He's, you know, threatening that, you know, if he comes any closer, he's going to shoot this guy. The guy says, well, I mean, if you, if you shoot me, they'll send somebody else and so on and so forth. And so Muley tries to plead with him. He says, but, like, I was born here. My father was born here. Right? We were all born here. We were all raised here. We've all worked this together. My father's buried here on this land. Right? My grandfather's buried here. In other words, there was this attachment, this love of this place. This, all of this land provided for thousands of families. But because a little more profit could be made, it was decided, well, we need to get rid of everybody without any care for them, right? Just literally send them off and bulldoze it all so that we can, we can make a little extra money. Right? For, for us as believers, that sort of practice that, that doesn't see value through the eyes of Scripture is not acceptable. Why? Because, in part, we are given what we have in order to give to others, to be a blessing to others. We are to seek the good of others. Stealing is the exact opposite of this, Right? It is to say, all I care about is what is for me, right? My provision, what I want, it, it's all it's about. It's taking from somebody else for my good. We cannot be that way. That cannot be the kind of mindset that we have. You have been made new in Christ. And so you seek the good of others. You seek to help others. This is why down through the the millennia of the church, usury, charging huge amounts of interest on loans, was always seen as something that was so corrupt and evil because it would take advantage of people that are already in a, in a position where they don't, they don't have any other options 
and then it would force them into almost a kind of perpetual slavery. As Christians, you should be those that seek the good of those who work for you. Right? When you're an employer, you should seek their good. We just had Bert and Nancy Williams here from Uganda last week. And they shared during, I think it was during the Sunday school hour, they mentioned that Islam is on the rise in Uganda. And one of the reasons for it is because Muslims will come, they're often shopkeepers, uh, they will open up shops, and they'll pay better than anybody else. So everybody wants to work for them, and then they proselytize those that work for them. And so Islam is growing. That, that, is, that is what we should be doing. Right? Seeking the good of others as a means to share with them Christ. Because so much good has been done for us. Now, of course, all this takes wisdom. Right? All this takes wisdom. It doesn't mean that you can't gain wealth. It means that while seeking your wealth, you're seeking the wealth of others as well. You're not seeking to just take, to just destroy, to just deplete from someone else in order to grow yourself. You cannot be parasitic in nature, right, where you just take from the hose. You've probably been catechized by a materialist worldview that says that everything in the world is inherently limited. And so if somebody else has something, it means that it's not possible for me to have as well, right? That there's a pie chart and somebody has this much of the pie, there's only so much left. But that's not the world as God has made it. Right? God has made a world that is so abundant that over time value can grow. Over time, the pie grows. More can be had and more can be shared. And so you are to seek your neighbor's benefit, not just your own. Because your neighbor's benefit is your benefit. This is especially true then of fellow Christians. It's, it's true that you should seek the good of others, right? Lay down your life for the sake of others, just as our Savior has. To not seek to take advantage of others, but to bless them, right? To out, try to outdo everyone else in blessing each other, not just taking, but, but giving in whatever way you can. So this is what you are called to. This is what the Word of God calls you to as His people that have been brought out of a land of slavery in order to be his people and he your God. He says you shall not steal. Which means that you must work hard for the glory of God and for the good of others. That you might live virtuous lives in order to please him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we pray that you would teach us your ways when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to our work, when it comes to our giving. We pray that you would make us like Christ, that we would seek the good of one another, not just our own, that we would not just take, we would not steal, but we would freely give, knowing that this is where you have put true value we ask this not in our power, not in our name, but in yours, Lord Jesus. Amen.